All right, first Corinthians chapter 15, and uh, I'm excited about tonight, and what a joy it is to gather on Resurrection Sunday and uh, to consider not only his resurrection, but we just heard his death, and as we commemorate Lord's Supper here, and our part in that, boy, what a, what a convicting, convicting aspect, uh, and uh, reality though, at the same time, I'm sure I'm grateful that Christ conquered death. And uh, he has conquered it all. This week, and uh, as it probably is true of you, uh, every time we come to Christmas, we come to uh, Easter Resurrection Sunday, I, uh, you maybe focus in on a little bit of the story that you maybe don't normally do, or just a different part, and you kind of make that kind of your focus throughout the week. And this week, uh, my heart and mind was drawn into uh, Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 10, the first part. And uh, it says this, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. It was neat because I, I wasn't here on Tuesday when they did the rehearsal and things. I, I had not read through the cantata uh, um, recently. I did that many, many months ago, last year, in fact, as Pastor Aaron was picking it out and so forth. And so I had forgotten that the right Reverend John Meyer Jr. was going to preach on that verse this morning in the drama, right? And uh, he mentions this verse, and it's like, oh, that's neat how the Lord just tied it together, because all week, this verse has been on my heart. And I, I love this statement by Paul, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. And we want to consider that tonight, the power of the resurrection of Christ. Just a few moments, we're going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and I, I love, because it certainly ties into the resurrection, I love this verse. I, you've heard me kind of emphasize it as we've gone through the Lord's Supper. It's verse 26, and it has quickly become my favorite part of 1 Corinthians 11, the Lord's Supper, the ordinance, okay? This is what it says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death to come. Now, why have I come to view it as probably my favorite verse? Because I think there's so much in the verse. In fact, I would say that in this verse, there are several things. In fact, there are four different things found. Number one, we see in the verse the reference to the past, right? Because it, it talks about his death. And his death was mandated, necessary, needed because of our sin. So it's a, it, the past is referenced in this one verse. Also the present. Because he's saying right now, as you and I come to this table and sit here tonight, we are observing it, we are remembering, we are participating in the ordinance to show Christ's death. We're to make it relevant for today. May I just tell you today that Christ's death is still relevant today. There is a world that needs to hear. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin. That's why it does not get old every Easter and every Christmas that you and I, as a church, we put together a cantata or a presentation so that people can hear that Jesus Christ died for them. That he made a way for them to gain heaven and lose hell. Because it is still relevant today. So this is the present aspect. Today, tonight, we're showing that Christ died for our sins. And then you also see the reference to the future. The Lord is coming till he come again. What a statement. I love that verse because you see all these aspects all in this small little verse. A little statement that we find that Paul makes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. However, there's also one other thing. There's also implied in there, as we've talked about or going to talk about tonight, the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. There could no, be no talk of Christ coming again uh, if he did not come out of the tomb. If there was no resurrection, there could not be no return to earth. It, it isn't possible. And so uh, the resurrection is in that verse too. And so I think it ties in so very well tonight. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. It is the resurrection chapter. 
Okay, and it's huge, right? 58 verses, and it's just a tremendous passage, and it is all about the resurrection. In the first five verses, what do we find? The substance of the gospel. Look at verse number one, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number one with me. Notice what Paul writes. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the, what's the next word? Okay, that was terrible participation. Your participation grade is F minus. Here we go. Let's try that again. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel okay so the good news right here's the substance of the good news what is that which i have preached unto you which also ye have received and wherein ye stand by which also ye are saved if ye keep in memory what i have preached unto you unless ye have believed in vain now that's an important word we will follow that word throughout this passage the word of vain so stick with me verse three for i delivered unto you first of all that which also i received how according to the scriptures excuse me how that christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures verse 5 and he was seen of cephas and then of the 12 okay here's the gospel in a nutshell this is a great passage to take to somebody say what's the gospel here's the good news here's the gospel christ died he was buried he rose again he was seen of many many people the next few verses talk about all the people that he was seen of including paul as a man born out of due time Okay, and uh, so this is the gospel presented for you and I. Now, I find this important. Now, stick with me. We're going to follow a lot of passages. We're going to trace some things through God's word. So stick with me tonight, okay? Have you ever uh, read Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 and wondered something about it? Remember 10, 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart, shalt believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Okay, confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, shall believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead that shall be saved. Have you ever, like me, looking at this verse, wondered why Paul, more importantly, why God through the Holy Spirit led Paul to stick in the middle of this verse that you should believe that God hath raised him from the dead? Why is that so crucial, so important for, for, uh, to be stuck right here in this important verse as Romans presents the gospel, presents salvation and all that it is? Why is this stuck right here? Why was Paul led of the Holy Spirit when talking about saving faith to insert that? Why is it part of the gospel? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 helps explain that. It answers that question. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 12. Look at verse number 12 of the passage we read in verses 1 through 5, verse 12. Notice the question that is asked. It is a rhetorical question. Paul says, now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? Okay, now this uh, rhetorical question gives us the first point of the power of Christ's resurrection. That's simply this. Number one, the power of Christ's resurrection is what makes the promise of every believer's future physical resurrection possible. Okay, the power of Christ's resurrection is what makes the promise of every believer's future physical resurrection possible. Now, we're going to explain, we're going to see how Paul explains for that more importantly. He begins to argue in this passage for what I would call arguing in reverse. He starts at the end goal or the end result, excuse me, and argues backwards uh, to the cause and what makes it so, okay? Um, why does he do that? Because he's dealing with erroneous, false preachers. Did you catch what the verse implied? He's saying, wait a second, why are there some among you who are preaching some other doctrine? Why are they preaching that Christ didn't raise from the dead? And, and obviously the outcome of that would be that the others who have died in Christ are, are, will not rise either. Why are you teaching? I, I find it interesting. Uh, you know, uh, i just let you know, there was no Facebook. There was no uh, Google. There was no Internet back in Paul's day, and yet he is dealing with false teachers. 
He's dealing with false doctrine. He's dealing with all kinds of things. And so those things do not create it. Those things do not cause it. The reality is they just make it more, uh, more out there and uh, more, if I could use the words, more prolific and more accessible. False doctrine and false teaching has been around since Satan was cast to this earth out of heaven. And ever since the Garden of Eden, he's been pushing false doctrine. He's been promoting false teachers. He's been trying to get people off in theology and in doctrine what they believe since the beginning of, that, of man's history. And so we see that, and that's the case what Paul is dealing with here. So he's being led of the Spirit to write and set things right biblically. Okay, And why? Well, they're preaching that the believers that are dead, now here's the problem. Believers that are dead who have already died will not experience the resurrection. Do you realize how disappointing that is? I dare say all of us here could raise our hands and say, yeah, I, I've lost someone I cared about. I've lost a family member, a loved member that knew the Lord or uh, was uh, under the age of accountability, and I, I am clinging to that hope. I am clinging to the reality that I'm going to see them again. Could you imagine if someone came and stood behind this pulpit and said, you know what, I have a new doctrine, a new teaching from you, a new revelation from God. Can I tell you, there's all kinds of junk like that on the Internet. There's all kind of books out there. I've got a new teaching from God, a new revelation. Could you imagine if someone came in this pulpit and they got up and said, listen, I want to just tell you something, that those who are dead in Christ will not rise again. They're, they're dead, they're perished, they're gone. Wouldn't that devastate you? Based upon what we already know of the truth, I would hope you and I would know enough of the truth to say, no, no, that's not correct. And here's Paul, he's writing to a church, he says, no, we've got to correct this. And so he argues from backwards, he argues in reverse, if we might put it that way. Look with me, if you will, verse 13 of the same passage. We read verse 12, look at verse 14, 13. But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen. Look down at verse number 15. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. Verse 16. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. Now, he's arguing backwards, because uh, Christ is not risen because the believers are risen. No, believers are going to rise again because Jesus Christ is risen. But he's arguing from reverse. He's arguing kind of backwards in a sense to kind of get our attention and make it applicable to the subject matter at hand. So what's he saying? If the dead don't rise again, then Christ did not rise again because that was the promise of Christ before he died. These two truths, these two truths are irrevocably connected. Jesus Christ rising again uh, the third day he arose. And believers coming first at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, their soul being reunited with their body, and the resurrection of the believers happening. You cannot separate them. So my friend, today, when you and I celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ rose again, his resurrection, do you realize that we cannot separate that from the promise that one day our loved ones will rise again? That's, that's the promise. And Paul's saying, wait a minute, if you, if you throw away one, you're throwing away the other. If you're saying one didn't happen, you've got to say the other didn't happen. And, and he's trying to point out that's just terrible theology. That's false doctrine. That's heresy. That's just not true. In fact, he goes on to describe the outcome of that. He says, if that were true, 
If that were the case, if, if, if Christ is not risen and the dead in Christ will not rise, if, if that's not true, we've got problems. We've got issues. First thing he points out is simply this. Our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Look at verse number 14. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain and your faith is also vain. Beginning of verse 17. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. There's that word again, vain. It's empty, it's useless, it's pointless, it's powerless, it can't do anything. This is a, a sad reality if this is so. If what is being preached to the church at Corinth, what these false teachers have been promoting, if it is true that Christ is not risen and the believers who are dead in Christ will not rise, this is a terrible reality. You see, it's a weak faith. It's a faith that is only good for this life. It's a faith that has no power for the future, for eternity. It offers nothing past death. It is vain, empty, pointless, powerless, beyond what it is doing for us right now. You know what the worst point of it? And I think this is the most uh, amazing thing, uh, stark thing that Paul says is the rest of verse 17. Look at it. Notice what he says, verse 17. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain. Ye are yet in your sins it's a powerful statement christ is not risen you are still dead in your sins if christ has not risen and defeated death and sin in the grave ye are still in your sins it's a sobering and alarming thought without a risen savior without the fact that he rose again without a resurrected savior the fact and reality is death still has a sting Because if he has not risen, death has not been defeated. Paul would make the point later, chapter 56. You remember what he said in that verse? He said the sting of death is what? Sin. So if Christ didn't conquer death, then sin can still sing you. That's reality of what Paul's saying here. So listen, if he is not risen, our, our preaching is vain. Our faith is vain because it takes a risen Savior who's defeated death and sin in the grave to give us the new life we so cherish in heaven. Paul then goes on, verse 54. You remember likewise, he says, death is swallowed up in victory through Christ's death and his resurrection. Death and the grave have lost their sting and their victory. Why? Because Jesus Christ is risen. We do not serve a dead Savior. We serve a risen Savior. And because of that, you know what our faith is? (laughs) Our faith in Christ is death-defying and death-defeating. It's a death-defying and death-defeating faith. All because Jesus Christ rose again. Sometimes I think we tend to take the priority over his resurrection as much as the cross. Listen, it was all part of God's plan. It was all necessary to do uh, what was necessary to gain us salvation. He rose again. Paul makes the point very clear, as does the Scripture, certainly. See, if indeed, the pro- as the false preachers are preaching, if Christ is not risen, then all the believers who have died have perished. Literally, there is no hope for the dead believer. Could you imagine what that is? Could you imagine going through every age and trying to hope for the, the, the return of Christ? Because uh, in your minds, uh, well, the, the dead in Christ, they're just not going to be risen up. So the false teachers weren't necessarily teaching that Christ didn't rise from the dead. Uh, they were just teaching that the dead in Christ weren't going to rise. Okay. Well, Paul's arguing, well, you can't take this away without taking that away. You can't take away the resurrection of the dead in Christ without taking away the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Could you imagine what it would be like, though, according to their doctrine, every age 
Every time people lived here on earth that they had to hope the rapture would happen in their age, that was the only way they were going to get to heaven. Otherwise, they would perish. Could you imagine what that would be like? i just got to live long enough to the rapture. I've got to live long enough to the rapture. Now, I don't know about you. We ought to join John in saying, even so come Lord Jesus. If the rapture happens tonight, you know what I say? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Bring it on. Let's go. Buckle your seatbelt. Amen. Let's do it. That, that wonder, that'd be wonderful. But you know reality is? The rapture could not come for another hundred years. It's possible. And if you and I die in Jesus Christ, man, I sure am thankful there is hope because Jesus Christ rose again. We will be resurrected. See how Paul is drawing them back to the reality and the truth of what the gospel has taught. You see, in verse number 18, if you look there with me, verse number 18, notice what he says. Then they also which are fallen asleep, those who are dead in Christ, are perished. <laughs> They're done for. There's no hope for them is literally what he says. And in verse number 18, there's hope in a dead Savior for this life only, literally, is what uh, he's making the point of. There's no hope in Christ because death defeated Christ. Then we read verse number 19, and it's a powerful verse, isn't it? I've said it most all, many times before, quoted it. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Okay? Those that trust in a dead Savior, if all he did was to die on the cross of Calvary, didn't come out of the grave, we are of men most miserable, Paul says. Really wouldn't have accomplished very much. There'd be hope for this life if you could put it that way, but we are of men most miserable. But I tell you tonight, friend, that you and I are not miserable people. We are joyful people because we serve a risen Savior. We cling to the promise of the resurrection for all believers that God himself has given us. So Paul immediately says, listen, this can't be so. You're, you're throwing out the, the baby with the bathwater, as the old cliche would say. You, if you throw out the resurrection of believers, you're throwing out the resurrection of Christ. And if that's the case, we are men most miserable. Our faith is vain. Our preaching is vain. If that is true, we have nothing to hope in. There, there's no reason to be joyful and uh, uh, rejoicing. But he says, that isn't true. Look at verse number 20, if you will, with me. Verse number 20. He says this, but now is Christ risen from the dead because the first fruits of them that's, and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. Okay? For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. In Christ, all shall be made alive. I love that statement. We will be made alive. We've often said this, that those who've gone on before us, they are more alive today than they ever have been. Those who are in heaven today, loved ones that all of us could name, they are more alive today than they've ever been. Why? Because they are alive in Jesus Christ in heaven. Their soul, in what, other, what temporary form that God has given them, a temporary glorified body until this body is glorified, we don't know all the ins and outs. But whatever form they are enjoying, the very presence of God, as we know, to be absent from the body is to present with the Lord. Can I tell you, life has not been experienced till you are in Christ. And in his presence in heaven is true life. So when you and I think of those who've gone on before us, we readily admit that they are more alive today than as they have ever been. And that's true. I love how Christ described the resurrection when he taught about it here on earth in John chapter 5 and verses 28 and 29. You know what he called it? He called it the resurrection of life. 
We are made alive through Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And in part, we celebrate that tonight. The physical resurrection awaiting all the believers that have gone on before us. And if God tarries in sending Jesus Christ to come and get His bride, the reality is you and I will experience that physical resurrection too. All based upon the power of Christ's resurrection. But number two, there's also another truth we glean from the passage concerning the power of the resurrection. And Paul says that I may know the power of the resurrection. Here's what he's saying. Number two, the power of Christ's resurrection makes it possible for us to live the spiritual new life in Christ now. It makes it possible for you and I to live the spiritual new life in Christ. We've been made a new creature in Christ. So his resurrection, the reality that he has risen to new life. And I love the picture of baptism, don't you? Because if someone stands in there and uh, I have the privilege of baptizing, then we baptize you now in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, buried with him in the likeness of his death, Okay, and uh, I always jokingly will tell people, I sure am glad Christ rose again, because if he didn't rise again, I'd have to leave you in the water, and that won't be fun, right? Okay, well, what do we say? Buried within the likeness of death, raised to walk in newness of life. That's what the Bible says. We are identifying with Christ in that truth. So when he was died and was buried and he rose again, the reality is he has made it possible for you and I to live the new life spiritually that we have in Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is getting to even in this verse. In fact, verse 57 of this chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, he speaks of the victory that we have in the resurrection through Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay, You can glance ahead at verse 57, but thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Then we're told, don't miss it, how do you live in the power of the resurrection? Great question. Paul says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in. Isn't that funny how that word just keeps appearing? Back here, your faith is vain, our preaching is vain. All these things are vain if Jesus Christ didn't rise again. But since he has, guess what? Everything you live for, everything you work for, everything you did this morning in ministering to people to preach Jesus Christ was not in vain. And friend, to that I say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. He's made it everything, not in vain. <laughs> Faith, preaching, living, serving, laboring, you name it. See, in this chapter of 1 Corinthians 15, it is a beautiful chapter. We have not yet preached through the book of 1 Corinthians. It's quite the, the, the letter to the church. Someday we'll get there, maybe 2050 or something like that. But anyway, um, verse uh, 58 tells us, be steadfast and move. Would you see from the beginning here to the end, notice what we have. We have gone from the potential of vain faith to the reality of vainless, profitable living and labors done through faith. If I could put it a little bit more concise, I'd say this. He has taken us from empty faith to full faith. From empty faith, vain faith, from empty faith to full faith. So what makes the difference? It's the power of Christ's resurrection. In Philippians chapter 3, we'll turn there in a moment, that verse where Paul says that I may know the power of his resurrection. In that same passage, he says this, he counts all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. Now, I'll tell you, my friend, we ought not to take it for granted that you and I know of Jesus Christ. We have knowledge of Jesus Christ. Not just of who he is, but what he has done and the personal knowledge of knowing him. 
That's what Paul's saying. I mean, I count all things for loss. If I can just know Jesus Christ, if I can come to experience all that he is and his death and his resurrection and all that, that my Savior is as a high priest in heaven for me, that is the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord. And I love that statement. Then he says this, I want to know my God, my Savior. I want to live in the power of his resurrection. He says this statement, don't miss it. I've been made conformable unto his death. Literally the idea through faith, I've been conformed unto his death. Much like we talked about baptism representing. And I want to live in conformity to his resurrection, to the power of his resurrection. So when he writes, and Paul does, that I may know the power, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, he's saying, listen, I want to know him in his death. I want to be identified with him, what he's done for me, and dying for my sins, but I also want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to have it in my life, the power of Christ's resurrection, seen, obvious, clear to others. I want to live the life that he has called me to live. That's literally what Paul is teaching us here. It's not the only place that Paul, uh, excuse me, that God led Paul to speak of this truth. Turn with me, if you will. I told you we'd be looking at several passages, and so we will. Romans chapter 6. Look with me there. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. We'll look at verse number 6. Paul makes a great statement here in this passage. Look at it, Romans 6, verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. Okay, let's stay in the context. Paul's saying we've conformable unto his death, okay? Not crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin, verse number 8. Now, if we be dead with Christ... We believe that we shall also live with him. Now, we could say that has a, a, a two-pronged meaning. It has a, a two-part meaning in a sense. Certainly live with him in eternity, but live with him now. Live in his power even today is what Paul is speaking of too. Now, did you catch that, that first part of that verse, verse number 8? Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. My friend, if you have the the hope of resurrection today, the only way you have that hope is if you are dead with Jesus Christ. If you put your faith and trust in him. If you have been conformable unto his death, as Paul had put it a moment ago. Okay? So tonight we remember Christ's death, certainly. Because uh, that is what we are commanded to do. It's an ordinance for the church, for believers. And as it is such for believers... We also, as you and I come to this table, we have a memory of dying with Christ through putting our faith in him at some point in the past. When we crucified the old man. When you and I came to saving faith in Jesus Christ and we've come to the end of ourselves and we said, all right, Lord, no more. I can't do this life anymore. I have no hope of heaven in and of myself. My Father, I need you. And in that moment, you and I died to self and we chose to live unto Christ. Live in him by putting our faith and trust in him. You see, but Christ, as this verse says, he didn't just die. We died with him, yes, but aren't you thankful that he rose again? So now we can live with him as the verse puts it, as Paul puts it here. Um, It's a great truth and a great statement that we find here. We shall also live with him physically, yes, but now spiritually. That's why Paul writes in the next two verses. Look at verse 9, if you will, verses 9 and 10. Romans 6, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. He defeated death. 
Verse 10, for in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. That's a great statement. He lives unto God. This is purpose. This is the whole reason for living is unto God. You know, I challenge much in the same way. We'd put it this way. His death, his death was to take care of sin and his resurrection was to enable us likewise to live unto God in the life that he has given us. That's why the following verses occur. Look at verse number um, 11 and following. Here's what he says. Likewise. Okay, because of that, <laughs> because of what Christ has done, what he's accomplished, likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed into sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Live like a, like a resurrected spiritual person. That's what he's saying here. You can be resurrected. This is the power of the resurrection. Live unto God. Verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Verse 13. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. Let's summarize it real quick. What's he saying in the passage of Romans chapter 6? He's saying this. The power of Christ's resurrection is realized in our daily living. How? When we don't let sin reign in our mortal bodies. Consider, deem yourself dead unto sin, but risen unto living for Christ. You're resurrected to live unto him and for him unto God. Number two, don't yield to temptation. You're, You're members of unrighteousness. Don't yield to the temptation of sin but rather yield to God as those that are alive from the dead. One of the great statements in the Scriptures is that before you and I came to Jesus Christ, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We are dead. But Jesus Christ came, and aren't you thankful He resurrected us spiritually? He gave us life in Christ. And now you and I are called to live unto God. Powerful statement. So we see the power of Christ's resurrection makes possible the physical resurrection of believers. That's coming in the days ahead. It also makes possible for it possible for us to live for Christ unto God right now spiritually in these lives that he has given, them, given us that we are a new creature in Christ. Now to do that, we've got to remember something, okay? Uh, listen carefully because I don't want you to miss it. In order to say, hey, I, I'm going to live in the power of the resurrection, it, it, there's a good reminder, and we'll see in a moment, Paul would often remind himself of it. You say, what's the reminder? Here it is. It, it, don't miss it, okay? You are not dead. You are not dead. You say, Pastor Henry, that is profound. I needed to come to church and hear you tell me that I'm not dead. Yes, you are still breathing. You are. You're still alive. You're still living here on this earth. You are not dead. Now you say, uh, okay, that seems kind of silly. May I just tell you? That's the exact truth that Paul strove to maintain in his thinking so that he daily lived in the power of the resurrection. What a shame it would be to know and experience the power of Christ's resurrection but not live in it. To not live every day and saying, hey, you know what? Uh, I'm in Christ. I'm no longer dead in trespasses and sin. I'm no longer having to let sin reign in my mortal body. I don't have to live like that anymore. I can live like a resurrected saint. I can live with somebody who's experienced spiritual resurrection, if we might describe it as such. It's exactly what Paul said. Would you turn with me Philippians chapter 3? Okay, Philippians chapter 3. 
Last passage we'll turn to, I promise. Philippians chapter number three. As we started out here, we return here, and at least I shared the verse in verse number 10. But look at Philippians chapter three. We pick up in verse number eight, if you will. Philippians three, eight. Yeah, it says this, and you remember right before this, he lists all the things that could bring, okay, and let me just make an application. We've got a few moments uh, here. So he lists before this all the reasons somebody might say, you know what, I should have a seat at the table. I have reason for God to recognize me. My zeal, who I was born, what I've accomplished, and what I did for Christ, persecuting Christians, man, what I did for God, I deserve a seat at the table. Can I tell you right now, there's not one of us here that deserves a seat at this table. There's nothing we have done to say, oh, I deserve that. I, I, I ought to have a seat at that table. Not one of us. And I really often read Philippians chapter 3 here. Paul lists all these things. says, listen, uh, none of those, they don't earn me a seat at the table. In fact, that's kind of what he says in verse number 8. Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss. For the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus my Lord. Those things don't matter. What matters is what I know of Jesus Christ. What he has done for me on the cross of Calvary. He goes on. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And do count them but done. That I may win Christ. Notice these verses. And be found in him. Not having mine own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God. How do you gain that? By faith, he says in the verse. Verse 10, here it is, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. Everything we've talked about, Paul is establishing here in this passage. Verse 11, kind of an interesting statement we'll talk about. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. But I follow after, if that I may apprehend, that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Okay? That was a powerful statement through these verses. Okay? First of all, I have you see this. Right? Uh, focus on the word attain in verse number 11. Okay? This verse sometimes trips people up. Verse 11, if by any means I might attain to the resurrection of the dead. Okay? Um, Paul, uh, some people misinterpret this verse, and specifically this word attain. Okay? And, and because of it, it has created some bad doctrine. And uh, the word attain is often translated or interpreted as the word obtain. Okay? There's a big difference between attain and obtain. Okay, the word obtain, obviously we know, many of us would know that that word means to get, to, to achieve, to accomplish, if we might describe it as such. Okay, but that's not what the word attain means here. If we were to look back in Webster's 1828, probably the dictionary most closely connected to the, how words were used at the time of the King James translators. Here's the, the second in the list of definitions. Here's what it is. To reach or come to a place by progression or motion, okay? For instance, okay? So what Paul is saying here, don't miss it. This is important to our doctrine and understanding of this passage because some say, well, if he says, I hope I might attain unto the resurrection day. Boy, Paul's here in Philippians. He's kind of hoping for salvation. That's not at all what he is saying. He understands and knows he has already obtained salvation in Jesus Christ. He just doesn't know when the resurrection's coming. 
He doesn't know what by what means it's going to happen. Am I going to be hung? Am I going to be stoned? Am I going to be lost in a ship? How is it going to happen? Am I going to die of natural causes? I don't know how I'm going to attain the resurrection. But I have faith in it, and I know where my faith is. It's in Jesus Christ. Here's his point. He uses the term attain, and later the same term attain, not as as if I have already attained. So think about it. By definition, the word means this. It is a point in a moment where I will eventually meet by progression or motion. Okay, I know I'm going to get there. I just don't know when I'm going to get there. Amen? You have no idea. Some of you may think, yeah, there's going to come a day that I'm going to retire. I just don't know when it is yet. If I'm walking across this platform, I can tell you there's going to be a point in time where I reach this point. I might not know when it is or how it is, but I'm starting here. Sometime I will attain that. I will reach that moment. I will reach that point. And Paul is saying a beautiful thing here. The day is coming that I'm going to reach the resurrection. The day is coming when that's going to happen. Now, I don't know when it is. I don't know how it's going to happen that I'm going to die and then be resurrected. I don't know when that's going to be accomplished, how it's going to be accomplished, but I do know it's going to happen. In fact, we would put it this way. He will experience it when he dies. His faith is this. He will experience it when he dies, but he has not reached that moment. He's not dead yet. He goes on to say, I haven't been resurrected. In fact, he uses this terminology. I haven't obtained a perfection. I haven't already arrived. I haven't already gotten there. I'm not there in heaven. I'm not, I haven't arrived at the resurrection. So uh, a physical, but man, I'm going to live in the spiritual resurrection that I have in Jesus Christ. I'm not acting like I've already obtained heaven. No, I'm going to live right now in the power of his resurrection to live without sin. In fact, we would derive this simple statement from what he is saying here. I haven't reached the moment of my journey, so I'm not going to live like I am dead. It seems silly, but there's a reason the Holy Spirit led him to write it for you and I. You see, the power of Christ's resurrection is to be enjoyed spiritually now and physically later spiritually now and physically later how do we do that well could i remind you you aren't dead yet so you walk in the power of the resurrection spiritually until that happens how do you do that so i'm not living today like i've already obtained attained excuse me i have obtained it i haven't attained it i I know that i'm going to have a resurrection that there's going to be a day that i get to enjoy heaven but i have not arrived yet i am not dead yet Therefore, right now, I'm going to walk in the power of the spiritual resurrection that God has given me. How do we do that? Number one, we saw in Romans chapter 6, don't walk in sin. Like the person you and I were that was dead in our trespasses and sin, don't walk in sin. Don't yield to the old man uh, that you died to with Jesus Christ, that was crucified with Christ, as Paul said it a moment ago. Don't live unto your flesh, but rather do walk in the power of his resurrection. That spiritual power, if we might put it as such. Like a saint who knows the day of resurrection is surely coming. Live unto God. Live the new life you have in Christ. Let it shine. As the right reverend Pastor John Meyer Jr. said today in the cantata. Okay, so this friend, this day, do others around you see the power of the resurrection shining from your soul? Is it obvious in the way you live that you're living in the power of the resurrection? Not in the resurrection physical that will come. That day will come. If Christ tarries, he does not return. That day will come. But right now, are you living in the power of his resurrection spiritually? Paul said, listen, I'm not living like I'm already there. 
I'm living here on earth in the power of his resurrection. Paul, how are you doing that? Look at verse 13. He tells us, verse 13, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth into those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. What a great statement. He says, I follow after the Lord. He says that a verse before. I follow after the Lord. I reach and move forward living in Christ. I press toward the goal of pleasing my God and Savior. How did, Christ, how did Paul say Christ? He lives unto God. That's my goal. That's my purpose today. To live unto my God, to please him. And these truths set the table well for us to gather around the most important table tonight. As we do so, can I challenge you with three thoughts as we sum up everything from our study tonight? It would simply be this. Number one, let's remind ourselves that you have a place at the table, not because you have done anything to earn it, deserve it, or any other thing. It's ours by grace and faith. As we partake tonight, as you and I sit at the Lord's Supper, as we might call it tonight, the reality is the only reason we can is by the grace of God and our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Number two, Would you live in the power of the resurrection? What do you mean by that? Confess the sin. There's no reason for you and I to live with sin reigning in our mortal bodies. Sin, uh, having dominion over us. We're dead under those things. We've been resurrected into the new life in Jesus Christ. So don't live like that. Live in the power of the resurrection. Now, one of the truths about this, we say as we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says, let a man examine himself. May I just tell you and encourage you, you and I ought not to eat tonight the bread and the cup, drink the cup, If there's sin in our life, you better get it taken care of. There ought not to be anything between us and our Savior. You ought to put it under the blood. You ought to ask Jesus Christ to forgive you as we take a moment as the bread is being passed out. Can I just implore you, beseech you, make sure there's no sin in your life. God doesn't want us to live. We have the power of the resurrection in our lives. So don't, don't live in sin. Confess it. Remind yourself that through your faith in Christ, you are di- you've de- you're dead, you've died to that old sinful nature. It need not rule and reign in your lives. Number three, could I just encourage you to remind yourself you're not dead yet? What do we mean? Well, barring the rapture, the physical resurrection will come, but today is about living and walking right now in the power of Christ's resurrection. That means tomorrow, April 10th, of 2023 you can make it a day that you live unto god that is not possible unless you know jesus christ and because you know jesus christ who died was buried and rose again now you can take tomorrow and you can take the next day and you can take this next week and you can take this next month and you can take this next year and you can live it unto god that is not possible unless you know the power of his resurrection so would you do it friend christian would you remind yourself i'm not dead yet I haven't reached heaven. It's not there. Many of us yearn and long for heaven. Oh, what a day that will be through rapture or resurrection. Hallelujah. But we are not there yet. You are not dead yet. So walk in life. The life that is found in Jesus Christ through the power of his resurrection. My friend, yield to him and not to sin. Not to sin. Just a moment. We'll turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. and Those who are helping me serve will come forward. But... We're going to do something a little bit different tonight with this um, Lord's Supper. Okay, I, I love the focus we've had tonight about the reality of sin. Making sure there's not sin in our life. We're living in the power of His resurrection. 
And so tonight we're going to sing a song before we go into the Lord's Supper, okay? Now I've put Pastor Aaron on the spot because we're going to sing an acapella. He's going to come and lead us, okay? We're going to turn, grab your hymn book, hymn number 310, if you will. Hymn number 310. We're going to read both of these, or sing both of these verses. You can remain seated at this time. But I want you to think about these words, and I want to be a vivid reminder for you and I as we enter into this Lord's table, Lord's Supper, that the reality is if you have sin in your life right now, my friend, you can be made whiter than snow. What Christ did on the cross and his resurrection have made it possible for our sin to be removed for us as far as the east is from the rest. So why in the world would we entertain any kind of sin in our lives? Live in the power of his resurrection. Notice what verse 1 and 2 says. Lord Jesus, I long to be perfectly whole. I want therefore thee forever to live in my soul. Break down every idol in every foe. Now wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. The chorus goes on. Verse number two. Lord Jesus, look down from thy throne in the skies and help me to make a complete sacrifice. I give up myself and whatever I know. Now wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. I hope that's your prayer as we sing it here in a moment. Would you sing it unto the Lord? Would you make it the the first of several prayers tonight as we gather around the table so that God would know that we want to sacrifice, put everything on the altar before Him? And my Father, I want to confess every sin and I want to be washed as white as snow. Let's sing together. Pastor Aaron will come and lead us in the first two verses. We're on 310, singing the first and the second verses. Here we go. Lord Jesus, I long to be perfectly whole. I want Thee forever to live in my soul. Break down every idol, cast out every foe. Now wash me and I shall be whiter than snow, whiter than snow, yes, whiter than snow. Now wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. On that second. Lord Jesus, look down from thy throne in the skies and help me to make a complete sacrifice. I give up myself and whatever I know. Now wash me and I shall be whiter than snow, whiter than snow, yes, whiter than snow. Now wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. 